0: I've listened to a lot of podcasts like this one that we're doing here. And one thing is true is that customers like authenticity and they like to know who they're buying the products from. Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterly.
1: Yo, what is up, FM Nation? Today, we're chatting with Jim Lamancusa, founder and CEO of Kusa Tea & Coffee. You'll get to hear the full story momentarily, but Kusa is not your usual tea or coffee product. What started as a small line of innovative instant tea products soon grew into multiple product lines, including coffee as of recent, a handful of patents, and multiple, multiple global awards. Having worked in CPG startups that went from under a million in revenue per year to over a hundred million, Jim experienced the internal workings of a natural foods unicorn. He's taken that know how, along with his own scrappy mentality, to develop some really smart marketing initiatives that might have you thinking, hmm. Why didn't I think of that? After seeing the cost and conversion rates of his in-store demos, Jim looked to find a better way to grow his base of loyal customers the company began refining its digital presence and hasn't looked back since. Kusa's approach to digital marketing is extremely savvy, and anyone looking to establish or build an existing e presence, especially in the wake of COVID, has much to learn from today's episode. In the show, you'll learn how to scale up your digital media budget, why breaking up with bad subscribers could generate more sales, how to gauge the effectiveness of your in-store marketing, and plenty, plenty more. So let's get after it. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. So can you tell our listeners a little more about
0: yourself, uh, your background, and what led to founding Kusatis? Yeah, absolutely. So it's now Kusa tea and coffee, which we're pretty excited about. So a little bit of background on me. So I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, and I studied abroad in Hong Kong. And when I was in Hong Kong, I had never had any other tea other than Lipton tea until I visited Hong Kong. One of the things that they did with us is they took us to a traditional tea shop and they have an entire culture built around tea drinking. And so when you get to this tea shop, they sit you down and they made us a green tea and oolong tea and a black tea. All three of these are the best three cups of tea that I've ever had in my life. So I ended up spending three hours there. I walked out with like 10 pounds of tea. I just fell in love with it. I just became a tea drinker and I would drink tea every time I could. And then fast forward, you know, I graduated from college. My wife and I spent two and a half years living in Thailand, Nepal, China, and Tibet. And so when I came back to America, I brought a lot of that culture with me as far as drinking tea. And my first job that I got was back here in Boulder and it was for a company called Eco Products. And back in those days, it wasn't the giant that it is now. And Eco Products, they're the largest manufacturer of compostable and biodegradable packaging in the country. And when I started there, we were just starting to sell those products. And so I was the first street-level salesman. It was doing under a million in revenue when I started. And fast forward 5 years later, the company was almost $100 million and there was an acquisition. And so I have gotten my MBA since then, but I always joke that I got way more of an MBA education working with Eco Products. And seeing how, what does it take to bring a company from a million dollars to a $100 million in five years. So it was a great experience. I left there and one of the board members of Eco Products was starting up another grocery company called Good Belly, which is a probiotic juice drink and still sold nationwide to this day. And so I worked for them for five years. And in that job, I really learned the grocery industry because Eco Products was mainly sold through food service. And then after five years, I got headhunted. And so I got the opportunity to go work for another company here in Boulder called. Salewa, which is the third largest outdoor brand in Europe. But they own four other outdoor brands, one of them being Dinafit, which is all backcountry ski equipment. They own a rock climbing brand called Wild Country. And so I worked for them for five years and learned a totally new industry, which was the outdoor industry. And I loved it. Probably still my favorite industry because it's such a hard passion, but I also love natural and organic foods. And so... I ended up going to a small water bottle company after that and wasn't a good fit. They laid me off. They had a lot of financial challenges, which helped prepare me for what we've had to go through the last couple months with Kusa tea and coffee. And I've always wanted to have my own company. But having worked in really 3 fast-growing startups in Boulder, I've seen that you got to have a new idea in innovative category or something that provides a lot of incrementality to the category that you're in. That's number one. Number two is you've got to be really scrappy and be able to Make the most out of very limited resources. And number three, you have to have a bit of luck. Like when you look at all the major success stories that we've had in the food industry, grocery industry, there's always a bit of, you know, people hit the trend at the right time. And the really good business leaders are the ones that are able to grow within when the trend hits, they can manage their growth and have enough cash flow to keep the company afloat and, and become category leaders. But I always look at it like you got to be lucky. No matter how hard you work, there are certain products that are just not going to make it. No matter how good of an idea somebody had. So I've, I've seen a lot of stories within our industry. And so I had a little bit of hesitancy about starting my own company. But I always think that if I had gone through my whole career and not done this, then I always would have wondered what could I have done. So we started as Cousa Tea. It was about three and a half years ago. I was on a backpacking trip. And all my friends every morning, they were opening up their Starbucks via instant coffee packets. And I didn't drink coffee at the time. So I would be carrying around wet, soggy tea bags. And I was wondering why hasn't anybody made an instant tea that is like a Starbucks via. So that was kind of the genesis of the idea. I went back and long story short, I looked at all the existing methods for dehydration of beverages. And so there's two main technologies. But unfortunately, both of those really destroy the flavor, the aroma, and the natural beneficial health properties of tea. There are other instant tea brands out there like Lipton and Nest Tea. But when you read the ingredient label, the first ingredient is usually sugar or some sort of sweetener. And then they put in some sort of a flavoring. And usually they're artificial flavorings. And then some sort of a bio binding agent called maltodextrin, and then a preservative. And then the fifth or sixth ingredient is tea. And so the idea for my product was I don't want any of that stuff. I don't want to put that in my body. So why would anybody else want to? And so I tried the existing methods for dehydration. They failed miserably. And I spent about nine months in the R&D process and spent $75,000 of my wife and my money trying to get this thing off the ground. And after multiple failures, I actually decided that I wasn't going to launch the company. And it was about two weeks later that I had already started applying to other jobs. I was bored brushing my teeth at night and every night my wife puts on this rose eye cream. But when you read the back of the ingredient label, it said rose extract is the main ingredient. It wasn't like a rose perfume or a dye or any of that. And so I started wondering, how are they getting rose petals into an eye cream? When I read about it, I got really excited because it looked like that process could work for any plant like tea instead of roses. So I found a botanical extraction company. I pitched them on the idea of using this technology for a food purpose, they were game. And so I spent months with them modifying the process to use for a food purpose for the first time. And it's, it's a pretty simple process. We cold brew the tea or the coffee first. And one of the secrets is that we pressurize the water. So we put these organic tea leaves, we use real fruit, real spices, we put it in room temperature or slightly cool water, and then we pressurize it to 500 PSI and leave it for six to eight hours. And then at the end of that six to eight hours, we strain out the used tea leaves and fruit and we compost them and use them as fertilizer in the organic tea farm at that point it's just liquid tea and we move it into a machine it's called a vacuum dehydrator but what's happening inside is evaporative dehydration so you end up at the end of that seven cycles you end up with this crystallized tea powder and when you blend it with hot or cold water it rehydrates because it's starving for the moisture that we just evaporated out and it tastes as good if not better than a fresh cup of tea because most people when you brew a cup of tea if you don't brew it with a Right temperature for the right amount of time, it can release bitter tannins or it can be too weak. So, most people don't know how to make tea the right way. And so, with our process, it becomes foolproof. Doesn't matter what temperature, doesn't matter how long you put it in there, it's already perfectly steeped. So, that's kind of the background of like the technology. Like I said, we launched three and a half years ago. We're in about 2,500 stores now. I launched coffee. So, we did caffeinated teas to start, and then we launched with herbal teas at the end of 2019. And then in May of 2020, we launched Kusa coffee. And that was really consumer driven that customers that drank our tea said how much they loved it. And they said, man, if you could do the same thing with coffee, every other instant coffee in the market tastes awful. And so we tried coffee and the flavor was incredible. It was almost like too good to pass up. It's such a big market opportunity that we ran with it.
1: That's an amazing story. I'm curious, how much of the science or technology did you have previous understanding of versus you learned through the process of reaching out to manufacturers or or people to help you out?
0: I knew zero. So my whole background is sales and marketing. So I was VP of sales and marketing at the three companies that I talked about before. People ask me that all the time. Like, do you have a food science background? It's like, nope, but I'm really scrappy. And one of the things I think you learn by working for startup companies is you have to learn how to do everything. And you have to be willing to do everything. And I think that I've been fortunate. Working for startups can be really difficult because you are pulled in a million directions all the time. But the benefit is that you become pretty resilient and pretty scrappy that, well, just because I don't know how to do something... That's not a hindrance to doing it. It just means that I need to figure out how.
1: So being in a company that has gone from 1 million to 100 million in just 5 years, aside from having a unique product or unique process, what are some of the biggest learnings that you've applied to Kusa Tea and Coffee?
0: I would say that the scrappiness and the resiliency and doing a lot with a small budget has been really important. And actually, you know, what's funny is that we're part of our business now is we've become an ingredient supplier for other companies because a lot of companies need tea in their product, but for them to brew it, it's a lot of complexity and time. And so we've started to become an ingredient supplier. And what I've learned is some of the guys that we're working with, the companies we're working with are pretty large. And the time that it takes them to go from an idea to a finished product is incredibly long and incredibly cumbersome. And I'm sure that there's lots of reasons for it. But for me, never working in a big company, it seems like an incredible amount of bloat. Instead of having two people make a decision, you need to have 12 people and you need to have 17 meetings on it and a new product development timeline is like 2 years for some of these companies. And I can do it in 2 months and get something into the market. So I think that there's a time and a place that the industry really relies on companies like us to innovate and prove that there's a new category. But then at some point, it becomes too cumbersome for us to grow. If Walmart showed up tomorrow and said, we want to put every one of your items in every one of our stores, I would have to say, "I I can't do it because I don't have the funding to produce that much inventory. Whereas you go to the bigger guys and they know how to do that. That's what they're good at before this interview you mentioned a similar situation which you came
1: across earlier in the company's history if you have an opportunity like that to go nationwide but you know that's not the
0: best move how do you approach that with the buyer if I was convinced that it was the right move for us in the sense that it's the right retailer, we're going to have the right price point, they're going to put us in the right place in the store, and they're going to carry the items that I think will do well there. In that case, and if all it was was a cash problem, then I would go... Number one is I would go to my board and we do have some venture capital backing. So if I was able to present them with like, this is a this is going to be a winner, it's very likely that we would raise that money. There's a lot of financing companies out there that will do purchase orders financing. So if somebody like a Walmart who they are considered a very good credit, we could literally finance the PO. So as long as we had a real PO from Walmart, I could present it to these financing companies and they would take a percentage of it, but I could get that money. And the other one, there's a a new one out there called Kick Further. It's an inventory financing platform, but it's less of a percentage than traditional inventory financing. So I've had my eye that if something big was to happen, that's where I would go. If and in the since you needed to say, I want to start
1: regionally just knowing where we're at as a company, do you think that would work?
0: Yeah. That's usually what they want to do too, because they're sticking their neck out. If it's an unknown product and an unknown brand, somebody like a Walmart buyer, if they were to take you nationwide and it didn't work, then they'd get egg on their face. So they typically would want to start you regionally. So we were supposed to launch into Target into 300 stores for Target. And that was supposed to happen in July. So literally right now, but because of COVID-19, almost every grocery store that we know of, they canceled their category resets because the grocery store staff is so busy just restocking what they currently have that they don't have time to completely pull apart the entire tea department and put new products on. So I understand the rationale behind this is unprecedented times. So I get it. But it's a bit of a bummer because we were going to be in 300 of the higher end target stores. And it would be a good test for us to see how it did in that environment. That is a bummer. That sounds like a perfect location for your product. I know. But there's a silver lining to everything and it'll still happen. It's just be a little bit longer. Little later,
1: So in growing a new region with your distribution or going nationwide, what kind of marketing support does a brand or product really need to move product in that situation?
0: Yeah, we've gone through the gamut of all the different options that are out there. And it does depend on the retailer and what the customers are used to within that store. But it's really interesting when you look at it, Alex, where traditionally it was demos. And if you did enough demos, then people would come back and buy your product. What I found is the challenge with demos is number one, they're really expensive. By the time you add in all the cost of the labor and the product. And a lot of these retailers have a cost to do a demo in their store, which is crazy to me. But anyway, it ends up being about $230 to $250 per demo for 4 hours. And in that amount of time, you're going to see an average of 75 to 100 consumers walk through the front door of that grocery store. So the challenge with a demo is that those 75 to 100 people are not targeted. I don't know if they're a a tea consumer. I don't know if their demographics of whether they would be good for our products or not. So it's kind of a crapshoot of who you get. And then it's who's doing the demo itself. If I do a demo, I'll sell 50 to 60 boxes of tea within three or four hours because I'm the founder and people love to support the founder. But once you take the next step down and you hire a demo agency, the people that run those demos, they don't have any loyalty for your brand. So they're not going to push a sale and get somebody to make a decision. So it's a long way of saying that when I have tried demos and realized how expensive they were for the return, we did a program last year that was really successful. Successful. And it's like a free demo, but it's a digital demo. So instead of spending 230 to 250 dollars of in-store demoing what we did is that we used Google and Facebook and we targeted high tea consuming customers that live within the zip codes of where we are on shelf and we would target them with an ad that says try kusa tea for free they would click on the link they would have to give us their email address we would email them a free box coupon they would then take it to the store and redeem it and what we found is that as long as you're doing your demographic targeting correctly we can get Give away 30 boxes of tea for the same price as doing one in-store demo. And if you're targeting the right people, the cost is way better spend and it's a way better repeat purchase rate. So when we dug through the data, we found that around 37% of the people that got a free box came back and bought another box. Wow. So we were able to generate repeat purchase within the store. Yes, it's expensive because you're giving away a lot of product, but you're also generating velocity by doing that. And so the retailers love it and the customers love it. The only challenge to the program that I would say I would put out to the listeners is that the reason why I think we only had 37 7% repeat purchase versus 60 or 70% is because there's a percentage of customers out there that only want free stuff and they're always shopping for the next deal and the next free thing. And so I feel like the downside of that program was that we were getting a healthy amount of freebie shoppers versus core T customers that are willing to come back and repeat buy our product. So most marketers will say 37% repeat purchase is phenomenal, but I would say it could be higher. I've been trying to rack my brain around a way that, you know, get them to pay something. Like you pay us a dollar and we'll send you a free box coupon because then you get to weed out those freebie hunters. That free digital demo program has been really successful for us, and then the traditional stuff of doing temporary price reductions, so just deals on shelf, those can be successful, but you have to pay for that discounting to happen, and the return on that spend can be pretty high. So I know a lot of brands that get caught into that trap that they only do good velocity when they're on deal, and so I've tried to build T as a brand that doesn't necessarily necessarily need to be on deal all the time.
1: Can you talk us through the the information feedback loop when you're looking at repeat customers from digital to actual physical store?
0: Yeah. So it's a combination of 2 different things that we looked at. And first, very few data is perfect. You have to make the best with what you can do, especially when you're doing a program that's totally new like this was for us. And so what we looked at is we took an assortment of stores. So it was about 100 stores that we did this digital demo program in. And we looked at their average unit movement before we ran the digital demo program. And we ran the program. And then we looked at the average unit velocity after the program was finished. And so it's pretty easy for us to tell everything else was equal. And all of a sudden, the store jumped in velocity. And so we knew that the program was driving that volume. The other thing is that we still do a lot of customer survey. And so those people that got a free box coupon, we would send them all a survey within usually 45 days after they got their coupon and just say, Hey, we wanted to get some feedback from you real quick. 5-question survey. Which was your favorite flavor? What did you get? Which was your favorite flavor? How would you rank it? How likely would you be to recommend it to friends and family? And have you bought it again? And so the other benefit to this digital demo program was that within six months, we generated about 40,000 emails. And so those are now people that we can target. So of course, we want to support our stores. But some people, especially right now, they're not doing a lot of shopping in store. And so those same people we can target with online. And especially it's truly the timeline for grocery stores to get new products on shelf is extremely long. So usually, if I was to present right now to say Whole Foods, they might tell me their decision in October. So 3 or 4 months from out, they might tell me their decision. And then it'll be another 3 to 6 months before it's actually on shelf. So if you're a small, innovative brand like we are, and we're, we're launching new flavors and new products pretty often, that those 40,000 emails that we have when we launch coffee, for example, all those people now become coffee customers, even though we don't have coffee on shelf at any retailer yet, but they can get it from us online. So another benefit. Are you able to place a rougher specific value on what a single email is worth to you? Any email is worth at least $5. We basically look at our average order value and our lifetime value of the customer. And then what's the conversion rate when we send out emails. So we know that on average, we're getting... Our open rate is around 67%. We get from any 3-month time frame, we'll get about 25% of that list coming back to purchase again. So... The value of an email is pretty high for us, but it has to be the right email again that we do segment our lists and we see the people that got the free digital demo box of product are not worth as much as the current program we have is it's an online free sample pack program that we can talk about whenever you're ready to talk about it. But that program, we get significantly higher value out of those customers. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Tell me more. All right. So basically, when we ran this in-store digital demo program, it was really successful. uh, the frustration for me was this freebie hunter and then on top of it the stores we have like 22 different products and any given store has the most they're gonna have is five so it's always really frustrating it's like well but you're not carrying our bestseller and we don't get a chance to get it into the store until your next category review and so anyway i was trying to figure out a way for us to continue to grow our online business and i'm really happy that we made that decision because it literally saved the company that back in October of last year i said you know we're still gonna sell to new retail but we're going to really double down on e-commerce. And it's already growing well, but imagine what would happen if we started putting some real energy behind it. And so we did that. And then when COVID-19 hit, it was this really awful effect for grocery stores because I mean, grocery stores' total revenue is up by 200%. But if you look at within the categories of each product, tea is not one of those categories that's up. Grocery stores, they could barely keep milk and eggs and meat and cheese on the shelf. And so for 3 months, we didn't get a single order from our grocery stores. So all of a sudden, 50% of our business went away overnight. Oh, man. And thankfully, at the same time as grocery stores had gone away, e-commerce exploded and customers didn't want to go to stores and they wanted to get stuff online. And so because we had already laid the groundwork for online marketing, it was really easy for us to transition the business and it saved our business. So we actually launched this free sample pack program last June. And then we ramped up our efforts and marketing towards it in October. And so what this program is, is basically if anybody goes to our website, they can get a free sample pack of either... we got 7 caffeinated tea flavors. We have 5 herbal tea and we have 5 coffee. So the customer can choose whether they want to get caffeinated teas, herbal teas, coffee, or they can get combinations. They can get both of the tea items. They can get all 3 and the product is free. And all we ask the customer to help pay for shipping and handling because there is a real cost to packing these up, the envelope, the stamp, the postage to get it to them. Because our product doesn't weigh much, which is one of the saviors of the program for us, or it makes the program really possible. But it's also our tea is... The packets are thick. So I can't just put them in a 50 cent envelope and mail it. You've actually got to ship it as a package. So anyways, the customer pays anywhere from $3.95. If they want to get the herbal teas, it's like $2.95. And then it goes up to $9.95 or $9.85 if they want to get all three, which gives them 17 servings of tea and coffee. So for less than 10 bucks, 17 cups of tea and coffee it's a great deal. But because we asked them to pay for the shipping and handling, it covers all of of our cost except for the product itself. So that's one of the secrets of the program. The benefits of doing that is that people already have skin in the game. Even though it's 3 five, ten 5 10 for the shipping and handling, they're paying for it. And so we're automatically weeding out all these people that just want free stuff. So we launched this program and it has been insanely productive and effective for us. And part of it's because we do have a really good product. But the challenge with our particular product, which I think a lot of brands have, is just how do you get people to try it? first. If if people can try it, they will generally love it and they'll generally come back and repeat buy. But especially because it's an instant tea and coffee, people inherently think it's not going to taste as good. I didn't even say this in the beginning, but kind of on a whim, I submitted our items to the Global Tea Championship and they have these things called tea sommeliers that are like trained tea tasters and they'll they'll grade your tea just like wine. If you get a certain score, then you're awarded medals. And they get over a thousand submissions a year and we won four medals and two bronze medals and two silver medals for our tea. The irony is that the judges didn't know that it was an instant tea. And so when the judges found out they gave bronze and silver medals to instant tea, they were like blown away. Like, oh my God, it tastes so good. So we're fortunate people love it when they taste it. The flavor is so fresh, but inherently they think it's not going to taste good because it's instant. So this sample pack program helps people get over that hurdle of, well, it's only a couple bucks. I'll try it. I've heard good things about it. I'll give it a try. And then the repeat purchase, we generally get around 13% of the people that get a sample pack come back and buy on our website. 18% more go to Amazon. So we're getting over a 30% repeat purchase rate from the sample pack program. And mind you, like the costs for us are pretty low. Overall, it's just the product and it's just a couple servings of tea. So the return on that investment for us is... Phenomenal. The lifetime value of our customers is around $220 per customer. So the only real major cost for us with this program is paying for the ads to put it on Google and Facebook. So we're paying around $2.85 for the cost per click to get them to our website. And then from there, 30% of them come back and repeat purchase. And then they're over $200 lifetime value. So it's one of those programs that you can just keep throwing as much money as you want at it because it keeps returning a much higher value than what your expenses were.
1: So you mentioned earlier that the the digital... Demo conversion rate was around 37%, with this one around 30, but you obviously like this one a lot more. Can you talk through the rationale?
0: Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, first, it was hard. We did see a decline in, so people would repeat purchase, but then we would see it kind of fade out, like, you know, look like a roller coaster where it's like nice repeat purchase, and then it eventually dwindles as people forget about you or they've got enough product, or it was hard to see a long term retained lift from the digital demo program. Whereas with this sample pack program, people keep ordering. And part of that is because we can keep talking to them. So we can keep reminding them well, a couple times a week, we send out emails with new flavors and recipe tips. And so we're constantly engaging with those people. And we can track their behavior versus doing it in store, you really can't track their behavior. The second thing is that there was a pretty big chance and existence of fraud. So when you're emailing coupons, it's really easy for people to print them and copy them. And so some stores would push back and say, well, we're not going to take a printed coupon. And then stores stores would be like, sure, we'll take all the printed coupons that you want. And so people would get one free box coupon, and then they would copy 30 more of them and give them out to all their friends. Or those same people would keep copying them and take them back to the same store. And it's supposed to be a single use, but the store can't tell. So you end up getting just a higher redemption and a chance for fraud. We would set really short expiration dates so that people shouldn't be able to use it more than two weeks later. But the store didn't always check that. So you get hit with higher cost than what you were expecting. So a couple of reasons. I'm not saying we won't go back to that program at some point in time. Right now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense with COVID. But if this free sample pack program on our website keeps doing what it's doing, it's more effective use of our marketing money. And we're still a small brand. So you got to put your money where it is going to generate the most return.
1: Yeah, totally get it. You have an extremely good grasp on the numbers and the KPIs that you're looking at for conversion rates and costs when it comes to building out an initial budget and getting started out before you really had a solid idea of what those numbers were going to be. How did you determine this is? what our budget should be. And here's how much we're willing to pay to acquire a new customer.
0: I would say that as any small brand, you've got to be willing. I always say to my staff, like test small and then go big. Every In the marketing budget, we essentially have a test, test money set aside that we're always going to be testing and innovating. And so if, when we launched this program, it was totally unknown to your point what it was going to return. And so we tested small and for the first month we spent like 200 bucks on ad spend and then we tracked what did what did the customers do and I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually a pretty good return. Okay, let's spend 300 bucks, and then let's spend $1,000. And now we're up to $10,000. So we were able to ramp it up. And it's pretty easy. If there's something that doesn't return quickly, just don't do it again. It didn't work. Or figure out why didn't it work and then make some changes and go back to it.
1: Is there a channel or platform that you found converts the most for you guys?
0: Facebook and Instagram convert better than Google in general for us. But well, we're testing out some other new programs too and other platforms. And one of the things I'm most excited about, I can't tell you how the numbers are going to work out, but actually as of today, we're just launching a text-based reorder program. So basically, people have to opt into it. The company that we signed up for, we gave them access to all of our order data. And they can look at... With machine learning, they can see what is the average time that it takes somebody to go through a box of tea. And then we also sell our product by bulk. We sell it 30, 60, and 100 servings in bulk. And so we can look at how long does it typically take somebody to go through 60 servings and then repeat purchase. And so this program, people opt into it. And then let's say it takes an average of 40 days for somebody to go through 60 servings of tea. So on, let's say day 35, that customer is going to get a text. And the text says, Hey, a little bird told us that you might be getting low on your mango green tea. Would you like to replace a reorder? And all the customer has to do is say yes. And it places the order for them on text. They don't have to do anything, process anything. It's simple. So I'm really excited about that. Most consumers, they just get busy. I know I do is so you forget about it. And then you don't really remember until you're totally out. And even then you might, it might go another couple of weeks before you place another order for something. So I think that if we can remind people that, hey, you're about to run out, do you want to place an order? There's a higher chance that they will.
1: So I was doing a little creeping and just looking at the Facebook ads that you guys are running and notice that some of the recent ads feature you, assuming at the office or wherever it is, talking to the camera, pretty straightforward, not super high production. Have you found that style or approach to be most, effective.
0: Yeah, we've tried so many things. I mean, we've never spent $50,000 for uh, super high quality stuff. So I can't tell you how that would go either. But I can tell you that I've listened to a lot of podcasts like this one that we're doing here. And one thing is true is that customers like authenticity, and they like to know who they're buying the products from. And I'm not an outgoing, gregarious person in the sense like I don't necessarily want the brand to be me. But I tried it the first year, I didn't really do a lot about me and, and I wasn't in a lot of the ads and things. And once we started doing that, I started noticing that we would put up a picture of me in the tea farm, and we would get 300 likes. And then we would do another one of a cup of tea with a mango next to it, and we would get four. So it was really obvious that people resonated with the face. And so and I do too, like if there's a person behind a brand that seems authentic, it just makes you have more trust in the brand. And so all of our ads have me in it in some way, shape or form. And I'm really proud to stand behind it. Because before COVID happened, I would go to our tea and coffee farms at least twice a year, sometimes three times a year. I know the farmers. I know their families. I specifically chose our tea and coffee plantations and farms because of not only the quality of the product, but also the working conditions and things like most people don't realize that tea is even organic tea. You have to dry the tea is the first step. And so even if it's an organic farm, if they dry the tea next to the road, which they often do, they'll pick the tea and then they'll, they'll put it on a tarp next to a road. And then once the tea is dried, they can load it up into the truck. That means that if you're next to a busy highway, you've got diesel trucks and God knows what blowing everything onto your tea. And there's no there's no step within the tea production where you wash the tea. So I looked for farms that were far away from major highways and didn't have things blowing onto the tea. So things like that. So I do believe that having a face and authenticity of the brand has been really important for us.
1: So authenticity is obviously extremely important, and you've learned how to to weed out the freebie chasers. What other advice would you give to someone who might be interested in testing a similar approach to A free sample program?
0: First, you get to run the math because I've got a lot of friends in the space and some brands that have a ready to drink beverage, like kombucha or this or that. Like, it's really difficult for them to make this type of a program work because the shipping costs are so high. So for us, I can ship, you know, five to seven servings of tea for a couple bucks. And for them, they're going to be spending $12 to ship the same quantity of samples. And that makes the program really expensive. Then it comes down to what is the repeat purchase, the conversion percentage, and and the lifetime value. So it might be worth spending $12 to ship a bottle of kombucha to somebody because you get two or $300 out of them once they're converted, but it may not. And so that's my, my biggest caveat. And when I've talked with other brands about this program, the shipping... If, if you don't have a lightweight, dry, ambient product... So that's the other thing is refrigeration, that we don't have to refrigerate our product. So we use like a larger envelope to ship it in. It survives fine, but somebody that has to be refrigerated or frozen, it's going to be really difficult to make this program... Worth it. Having said that, I think that finding ways to connect with your customers, maybe not in a traditional demo to get them to try it has been one of the most effective ways for us to grow, especially as a small brand that we don't have big marketing budgets that we're, we can't put advertisements on TV and in magazines. We have to just stand behind our product as the main marketing driver and trust that people are going to tell their family and friends about us.
1: Have you found after someone has signed up for or gotten a free sample, how many times you need to get in front of them between their purchases to remain top of mind and drive purchase.
0: Totally. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Alex, because that's the other key of this program is we use a, a software called Clavio. It produces email flows. So once somebody purchases a sample pack, they get put into a flow where they're going to get 7 emails in a row. And once they convert, then they drop out of that flow and they move into a different flow of, of more um, customer education. But for 7 times, we, we hit them until they unsubscribe. Or at the 7th email, we literally tell them, Hey, you haven't bought from us, we're going to unsubscribe you because you're obviously not interested. And it's it's amazing how many people actually, if they've made it to that point, they don't like to be unsubscribed. It's a mind change. Like People think, oh, I, I want to unsubscribe from all these lists. But then when you tell somebody like, hey, we're breaking up with you. <laughs> It's actually really funny. So we've tested tons of different flows and different messaging. And so I think we've refined it. We'll continue to refine it more and more and more. So basically, like I said, for seven emails. So the first email is, Hey, you just ordered a sample pack. We're super psyched. We're going to be shipping it tomorrow. The next email, it is four days later. So it should be the day before or the day that the customer is getting their samples. And then we say, Hey, your samples should be arriving today or tomorrow. Just wanted to remind you all the things that you can do with our tea. You can try us with Hot water, you can try cold water, you can adjust the amount of water you put in your cup to adjust the flavor and the strength of the tea, just giving them some tips. Nothing about repeat purchase. And then the third email is 10 days after their original sample pack order. And then they should have tried the product. And so then we say, hey, hopefully you've tried us by now. We want to give you an incentive to order again. And so we give them a we give them a 50% off coupon, which basically ends up being break-even for us. But again, like once you get somebody to place their first real order. The chance that they're going to order again is even higher. So we hit them with a 50% off coupon. Then 5 days after that, if they still haven't ordered, we say, Hey, your coupon is about to expire. So it's a 2-week only coupon. It's an individual coupon, so they can't share it. And it's a single-use coupon. And so 2 weeks later, we say it's about to expire. Please use it. And then we wait another week. And then we say, Hey, your first coupon expired. We're going to issue you one more last chance. I actually forget what the sixth one is. And the seventh one is we're going to unsubscribe you. You obviously don't like us. We're going to miss you, but goodbye. It's funny how effective that turned out to be. Yeah, it's been great. But I guess that we're still learning and trying to refine and hone in the messaging based on the customer also, because you can get a lot of demographics from somebody from their email and their IP address. So you know, some people are going to resonate more with messaging around ingredients, the efficaciousness of our tea and our herbs, and other people are going to be more of, hey, did you know we have bulk. And you can get a really good price if you order a lot of them, that kind of thing.
1: Is all that messaging going to the same people
0: or is that segmented based on their behavior? We're starting to segment based on behavior. Before most of the program's history, we've just had one basic flow of information, but we keep adjusting that flow as we have different ideas and we get different feedback from people. But you have to build step by step and brick by brick. And now that we've got the flow built, now we can start playing with it and segmenting it. So you mentioned Klaviyo, are there any Shopify apps or other softwares that are a must have for a company doing what you guys do? Well, to be honest, I have an amazing director of marketing and she does a lot of this backend stuff with all the apps and things. But I know that we do have a subscription app. We use Bold, Bold Commerce. And so people can set up and that is a pretty typical flow. So once people convert from a sample pack and they place their next order, then they go out of that sample pack reorder flow and they go into kind of our upsell flow. And so we say like, thank you so much for placing your next order. And if they didn't place a bulk, we start educating them about bulk items. And then we also educate everybody about subscriptions. And like, hey, just make it easy for yourself. You can add, change, edit your subscription at any time. So why not just sign up for a subscription? And we give people a little bit of a discount to do that subscription. So the bold bold subscription software has been pretty good for us. And then the texting program that I was just talking about where people can get texts to place repeat orders. It's called getrepeat.io. I can't personally vouch for it yet that it's worked for us because we're just launching it. But their sales pitch was awesome. And I did do some reference checks and people have seen some really good return on investment for it. So I think it could be good for a lot of brands out there.
1: We may have to schedule a second interview just to <laughs> get, get up, <laughs> up on how that went. I'm
0: interested to see. I think it's the next wave. It's so funny how everything that like, can moved to social media and that's where you did all of your marketing. And now actually email is our most effective marketing channel. And like we get the most return from emails. But I've seen more and more text based, and especially programs like this that make it really easy for somebody. Like, let's be honest, like the reason that Amazon is awesome, like A, you can find a lot on Amazon, but B, they've already got your information. They offer 2-day free shipping. It just makes it so simple for the customer. And so I think all of us as brands, we have to figure out how do we lower the barrier of entry for somebody to place a repeat order directly through us. We're still on Amazon too. I'm not saying we're going to pull out of Amazon, but the margins are significantly different on Amazon. We're seller fulfilled versus vendor fulfilled. So seller fulfilled, they take 15% right off the top. And then they take a pick and pack fee, which ends up being another about 25% of the cost of our products. And so 50% goes right away to Amazon versus if they were to buy something direct from our website, that all stays with us.
1: Gotta have pretty solid margins to be able to sustain that with 50% right off the top.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what happens with grocery industry though. I mean, you sell to a distributor and the distributors, depending on the account, but they typically want around 30% margin. And then for the tea category, the grocery stores, they want to have close to 40% margin. So oh, wow. yeah, it's an expensive channel, but the opening orders are incredible. <laughs> you know, you get a couple hundred thousand dollar opening order to launch into a new grocery store chain. And that's a lot of online customers you need to generate that kind of volume. But by the end of the day, one of the things that I've learned that I hate to even have to say it is just the distributors have learned how to squeeze the small brands like us and nickel and dime with chargebacks to the point where when you really look at the bottom line P&L, you're losing money. For every box that I ship to a distributor, I'm losing money. So you got to have deep pockets and have raised some money to be able to fund that. And at some point in time, when you get big enough, that equation starts to change. But like I remember when I was at GoodBelly, we had a full-time accounting staff member. And all she did was to look for fraudulent deductions from distributors. And they do things like I'll ship them a master case, which has 45 cases of our product in it. They will send me when they pay for the product, they'll send me the check and they'll deduct two cases saying you only shipped us 43. So you're like, I know I shipped you 45 because that's exactly what's in a master case. And it was a full master case. And the weight of the FedEx label exactly matches what 45 cases would be. But The problem is that, do I want to spend two or three hours of my time to try to get $25 back from them? And you're like, no, 25 bucks is not worth that amount of time. But you know, that nickel and diming, it just happens all the
1: time. Crazy. Everything that you've told us and all the learnings that you've gained and shared have been incredibly insightful and practical for everybody.
0: Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you inviting me on and yeah, best luck to you. And if people have any questions, they can find me on the website. Where's the best place to find you? So our website is drinkcoosa.com. You can also find us through coosatea.com or kusacoffee.com. If anybody wants to ask questions, you can just hit up the support email that's there and it'll find its way to me. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Alex.
1: And that is going to wrap things up for us today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you are liking what you're hearing, please leave us a review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we will be back with an all-new episode next week.
0: Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.